This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Misa from the Destiny of Special Agent Ace Galaxy. <laughs> Hi, I'm Will. Hi, I'm Trish. We're going to talk about The Jewel of Seven Stars by Bram Stoker. This was first published in 1903 and then revised in 1912 edition. Um, there are seven movie adaptations. At, at least I watched all seven of them. Oh, all the way through? <laughs> all of them, all of the way through. I, I didn't think I could get through some of them. Um, and then there's also, there's an audio drama that's all exclusively available on Audible, but it's, it's an hour and a half and, um, I did not, I did not get it. So I don't know about that one. There, there are surprisingly not any comic book adaptations and I look pretty hard. Um, except there, I think there is one, um, likely highly abbreviated in the Bram Stoker, uh, graphic classics. Um, which I, I think I have, but I don't know where it is. It's somewhere in my bookshelves and that's a, that's a labyrinth. So it's interesting to see, uh, how influential this book is. Never having read it before. Had anybody here read it before? Nope. Did not know it existed. Yeah. So we all know about Bram Stoker. He's famous for a book called Dracula. Anybody else read anything other than Dracula? previously no i've read a short story uh-huh. but it was about the borgo pass it was sort of related to the oh. dracula thing. oh that's uh dracula's guest i think yes which mm-hmm. interestingly uh, stoker's a kind of a weird writer um that actually was a chapter of dracula and it was sort of thrown away prior to final revisions and then later sold by his estate as a story. Uh. And it works as a story, but it seems completely disconnected from Dracula other than being set in the same region because it's about a different vampire, right? Yeah, so that probably was why it was excised from the book in the first place. Yeah. Uh, What about you, Will? Had you read any uh, Stoker before? Only Dracula. Yeah, yeah. Um, I found this very similar to Dracula uh, in a lot of ways. What did you guys notice that as well? I thought it was pretty different. Um, The the book Dracula uh, has a lot of things that seem like digressions that turn out to be relevant in Mm -hmm. the end. Mm -hmm. The book Dracula plays with a whole lot of different media, uh, like... uh, um, diary entries and and it's more experimental yeah. and newspaper clippings and uh dictaphone recordings so um and this is just pretty much a straightforward novel yeah the the story uh, it's all one person's you know it's uh the barrister's story right Right. Everything through his point of view. What I meant not was the the way it was put together, but rather the setup and the um the the what the characters are doing. I I found it. Uh, it's been a long, long time since I've read um, Dracula, but I, but I found this very gothic. 
Uh-huh. Yeah. It, well, it's coming out of that tradition for sure. So in, in terms of like tone, kind of, um, I, I could see a, a similarity. Um, I, I, I'm having trouble remembering all the character names in... Uh, okay, I got it here. So in, in Dracula, we've got the Dracula, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, there's Jonathan Harker, who's a solicitor, a.k.a. a lawyer. Uh, there's mm. Mina, who's a school teacher. Um, and also the fiance of the lawyer. Um, there's a dude named Arthur Holmwood, who is Lucy's suitor and later fiance. Um, and he inherits the title of Lord Gon- God Dalming. Godalming. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. There's Quincy, uh, an American cowboy. Um, yeehaw. Yeehaw. Represent <laughs> Renfield, who is a fun character. Um, everybody knows him. Um, insane asylum. Uh, Seward, the doctor, one of Lucy's suitors. Van Helsing, the Dutchman. Um, mm. Lucy Westerna, um, who's Dracula's first victim. And then there's the brides of Dracula. Um, they don't get names. They don't get names. There's so many of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, in, what I was saying is how similar it is, is not so much in the format because that, you know, um, Lovecraft's most famous story called Cthulhu follows a very similar format to, to Dracula and obviously influenced, uh, therefrom. A lot of, a lot of things have been influenced by the format, but rather sort of the cozy miss of it. So we've got this set of people who are all confronting a particular problem and it's not like a government agency so the way american television deals with stuff is like it's a cop show <laughs> right and there's the captain and the the desk sergeant and you know and then there's the wife and uh, you know that's the that's the way they deal with this whereas it seems stoker he's he's setting up uh, i guess a deal from um um mr jim moon's podcast they did a read along sort of style show on this. Um, she called it sort of role playing game characters, right? You've That's got, cool. <laughs> if you think about it, you've got the guy yeah. who's the antiquarian, right? The Egyptologist. There's the daughter who has come from away. Um, there's the, uh, solicitor. There's a, a detective named Daw, right? Um, and they're all trying to solve this mystery. And it's, it's like basically a module, right? <laughs> Well, I think cause and effect are kind of reversed there. Sure. I mean, most of the tropes of role-playing games come from, you know, old old uh, adventure novels. Like A.K.A. This. this novel, right? Yeah, totally. Um, and, and also from movies that are lifting from books, um, all the H. Ryder Haggard stuff, right? This, this is, in essence, this is a lot like um, the last H. Ryder Haggard novel we did. Um, she. she she yeah there are certainly common elements there mm-hmm. um i think this book is less problematic than she but also <laughs> less interesting you know it was it, there just doesn't seem as much to chew over in this book as as there was in she but you know it's a perfectly okay uh book certainly has inspired a lot of interest over the years yeah 
Yeah, definitely. I, 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 I quite liked it. It's not, yeah, it's not an amazing book. Um, but it's a good book, I think. And, um, I do like, I like the way it's told from the point of view. Um, and seeing what other, other filmmakers have done with it, you know, it, just seeing like how they break the story. Mm-hmm. I've been doing yeah. a lot of story breaking lately and just thinking about like what, what parts do you pick up and what, what parts do you leave off? And it's very clear to me that most of the people who are adapting it to film are breaking it from other versions of the movie. This is very common, right? They saw the movie, they didn't read the novel, and then maybe they... You think so? Oh, yeah. I think that happens a lot. Most, I think most movie makers watch movies, and most novelists read novels, <laughs> right? So if you're adapting a movie uh, from a novel, that movie gets out there, and then a filmmaker who likes making movies says, let's make a movie and they remake a movie kind of notice they call it a remake even though it's an another adaptation they sort of drop things that are in the novel that could be interesting and and emphasize things that are uh you know more prominent in the novels are more prominent in the movies so um who watched for example i can think of Mm -hmm. is john carpenter's the thing Mm -hmm. which was far more faithful to the source material than uh uh hawks's um i think it was hawks's uh, thing from outer space Mm -hmm. but of course uh carpenter by that time there was enough movie magic to make something a lot more like the original story there was, um, but also he improved on it in every way as well. So the original <laughs> story is not that well written. It's way too long for what, what happens in it. And it's got way too many characters that are all boring. But, you know, film also does stuff for for storytelling that, you know, you can't do in novels as well. You know, novels are great at doing a lot of things like getting inside characters heads giving you perspective giving you points of view um giving you feelings uh about things and tricking you and films can do the same thing but they the 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 tool set is different there's not there are overlaps right but um i want to ask which of the films of the i think i sent you guys five movies to choose from <laughs> Which ones did you manage to get through, and uh, what did you think of them? Um, well, I saw Blood from the Mummy, but I fell asleep, so I can't really comment. Blood from the Mummy's Tomb—that's the Hammer adaptation. Yeah, I, I, I but I—it was just so like <laughs> cheesy. It was very cheesy. What, what's weird about it is a—it's a, ha- it's a Hammer film. Um, which I quite like, but no Christopher Lee, and it's kind of no Peter Cushing, no Christopher Lee, and it's kind of a combination of the Gothic style and mid sixties. Uh, except it's actually came out seventy one, mid sixties sort of. I don't know. Uh, fashion sense. <laughs> yeah, the fashion sense struck me forcibly. Mm. This was not a period piece. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, and that's interesting too. I mean, one of the reasons you don't do a period piece is because it's more expensive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a lot of the ad- most of the adaptations are not period pieces. Um, does it matter? I think it does. 
I think that a lot of what's going on in the novel is, as Mr. Jim Moon pointed out, you know, it's about the new woman, which we also see in Dracula. Mm-hmm. The women having uh, more, um, I don't know, brains in their heads and having uh, asserting rights that uh, previously would have been not available. And uh, not only being uh, subjects of, you know, saving, but also being participants. We see that even a lot more in this, I think, than in Dracula. Especially, oh, I would not agree with that. No? I think Nina was the hero of Dracula. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, that makes sense. But I, I think... Um, Lucy, of course, was very passive. Well, uh, but, I'm thinking about Tara. Oh, well, T- Tara, of course... Uh, she doesn't get a lot of lines great, in the novel. You know, power of life and death over all her subjects in back when she was alive. And you know, in the description of what we get in the in the Dutchman's Journal and in in the you know description of her how she's shown in the cartouches and stuff like that, like she's she's wearing the crowns of both upper and uh, northern mm-hmm. and southern. She's yeah. uh, dropping the women's clothes and wearing uh, men's clothes with the crown and then wearing uh, women's clothes with the crown that only the men would have, right? So there's a lot of that going on. And also the fact that um, this story also knows, as far as I can tell, that the reincarnation stuff is bullshit. Like that, that's not really what mummies were all about. It's, I mean, that's what they are in the movies about. Um, and we see this story in a lot of like, so there's movies like, for example, the latest Tom Cruise mummy film that didn't do very well for a good reason. Um, that has, didn't a, see it. I yeah. watched the mummy with, uh, Rachel Wise and, uh, Brennan Fraser though. Sure. Sure. Yeah, and that cool. also, you know, is picking up some of this stuff, uh, from mostly from the film. But, uh, I, I, you know, I was, I had you all read a story my student wrote with my help. Um, and in talking about, you know, it was actually, it's a follow-up to another story, um, which was about Frankenstein. And the thing about Frankenstein is everybody knows the tropes of Frankenstein. So it's very easy to, to work with that language and play with it. It's very difficult to do the definitive mummy story because there is no definitive mummy story. There are a whole bunch of them, and then there's this novel. But this is not a well-known novel. So, you know, figuring out what what the audience, just a general audience knows about what mummies are all about, reincarnation is what we think they're, you know, they're back. <laughs> they're, they're cursed, <laughs> and they're out, out to get people. And we get that in here, but she is also, she's a completely different kind of mummy, right? She's... Uh, hasn't been embalmed. She's wrapped, but not embalmed. She's making prep for a return, which all the regular mummies <laughs> are all about. No, no, no. I'm, I'm blossoming. I'm becoming something else. I'm going to another world. And all the, those grave goods are for, uh, my journey there rather than, uh, I'm going to stay in here for a while and then yeah, come back. Right. This mummy was undead. Like, yeah, mummies are dead. That's right. 
This one is not. That's right. She, that so is a good way of putting it. And that's, again... Of regular mummy dumb. And that, again, that's the connection to Dracula that I see. Like, I think what he did was he said, I have something here. And then, well, I can't write another... Uh, oh, I guess, I, I don't know what he's thinking, but I, now we all know it would have been a series, right? <laughs> Dracula 2, he's back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's he literally... You know, there, exactly, right? Um, but... Instead, he did the old-fashioned thing, which is just move on and re-rhyme. So he, I think this is, um, it, if you think about what's going on in Terra's plan, I think it's really cool. It's actually the same plan as Dracula, right? Dracula wants to take over England, become the new imperial power of the Earth, because England is, you know, running running the world at this point. And that's Terra's plan, too. Um, you were prior to this, you started mm-hmm. reading the, a, a lost chapter right? from the book mm-hmm. and, um, and, and it was all about, um, the, the previous, the earlier gods, the gods before Yahweh, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and when, when you, and, and so that's, that's Tara as well. That's where she's coming from. Mm-hmm. And like, when you think of it from that perspective, she wants to, you know, go back to the, to the source gods. Like, it's really cool what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, forget about this intermediate, intermediate guy. We can go back to the beginning to the, to, you know, where it really started, where the magic is. And that's- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it's, it, 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 the more you think about it as her, her, her book, even though she did, I would argue she doesn't have a word in the whole book, right? She never speaks a line, even though I think we're supposed to be... She goes, rare. <laughs> well, I, I, it's interesting. Um, uh, that's maybe my favorite character is the cat. <laughs> uh, Sylvanus, is is that his name? Silvio. Silvio. Oh, Silvio, right. Okay. So Silvio is the the cat and is it a he? I think yeah. it is. He, he has his own version of a Terra, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they deal with it in a different way, right? Um, the cat is wiser than uh, Margaret Trelawney, right? At first. Well, um, so what happens at the end? That's my question. Well, what happens at the end of this novel? <laughs> Okay, I think I know. Okay, um, please tell me. Yeah, uh, like you, I uh, I listened to this uh, this morning, so it's very fresh in my brain. Right. Um, so uh, here's what I think happened. Um, I think uh, I think she's back. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, and we don't know what she's off to do, but uh, you know, I'm I have a less cynical read on her than Jesse does because. I mean, Dracula is here because he like wants to rule the world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, I think when uh, the uh, the daughter was in the thrall of the mummy and and talking about like how like she went on this uh, uh, five thousand year journey to like learn all these things to like uh, come back and help her people, like um, you know, I, I think that might be like we might be able to take that at face value. Of course, um, the like. Uh, society that that would refer back to just doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't really know. Uh, 
what's up? I mean, maybe she's off to go become the new woman. And yeah. she's like put out in contradiction to the daughter who is like much less of uh, the new woman. Yeah, is it a threat is the question. Um, I, and I would say yes. I, I would say yes because I think everybody's a threat. You know, this is... A, <laughs> you think about how cops deal with people, right? They say, stop resisting, sir. And then they beat you while you're, res- you know, resisting being killed. Um, you know, if, if uh, cops treat everybody like they're a threat and, and really we're all like that, right? You have a, you have hands which can touch me in a nice way, you know, give me a cup of hot Earl Grey tea hot <laughs> and also, you know, slash me with a knife and pull a trigger on a gun. So everybody is, every human being is capable of incredible violence if they've got hands and stuff. Um, on the other hand, um, I don't think that she's necessarily that. But if you think about where she's coming from, she was a magician, right? Uh, she knew magic that, um, is. She's a great sorcerer. Yeah, a very powerful sorcerer. She was taught lots of stuff. She exceeded her teachers. Yeah. yeah. Um, so she has powers that we do not have. Thus, she is a threat. That doesn't mean. And- She's she's evil. It could mean that she's evil, but it doesn't necessarily mean she's evil. But they have to look at her history, though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What, what did she do in the intervening time? She, she murdered a lot of people. That's true. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that she's gonna, but you, she does have all that power. Yeah, she's definitely she it's it, it's it's a menace and a threat, but not necessarily the end of the world. You also think about like. She goes through with the marriage. Why? Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps this is not so much a you know a um, uh, a takeover uh, as it is a fulfillment of a plan. So the Margaret Trelawney, uh, you know, what's interesting about the book, and again, I'm getting this from Odile and um, Mr. Jim Moon. Um, they point out that. Uh, it's kind of like a detective story at the beginning. It's a mystery. So they bring yeah, in the cops mm-hmm. and they, <laughs> he actually gets out a magnifying glass and looks all around the room, right? <laughs> and they're watching him like he's Sherlock Holmes. Um, and then we sort of have that go away. That sort of, it becomes a different kind of book because that skill set is not what's needed, right? It's not, uh, and yet we also, now have the answer like oh it was margaret chelani physically being taken over by the spirit of of uh, tara grabbing her father pulling him bodily to trying to pull him bodily to the lock and get stuff going right like if you think about it she probably was tara's probably manipulating the dad all along, right? Yeah. His obsession mm-hmm. is I was that too. so interesting. One of the one of the physical notes that I actually wrote down on a piece of paper. Um, I don't know how I got to this, but um, uh, oh, uh, uh, the other note that's on here. You remember I mentioned the cowboy and and Dracula. We also have a uh, character named Winchester, <laughs> which <What>? is hundred <laughs> percent associated with cowboys, right? Um. um. Now, although I think the the cowboy in this one is the Egyptologist. I- indeed, indeed. Yeah. Um. But uh, this is a note I made. Abel's bedroom, 
uh, is actually a tomb. He says, do not remove any of the items from it, right? Let me lie in state. And you can sit in, uh, in fact, you were commanded to have a woman and a man sit and watch me while I'm in my room, but do not move any of my things. Um, so the sit and watch me thing we think is kind of weird, right? If it's a tomb. But actually, all the Egyptian tombs back then were designed to be active uh, places of attendance. You, as a family member, would go to visit your ancestor. And there was a special room from which you could, like, sort of give them homage. So this idea of him... You know, treating his room, which is full of grave goods, right? Notice they're not his grave goods, although technically they are now, <laughs> at least temporarily. By <laughs> right of possession. <laughs> and he, exactly, and, and he's lying there, right? And he's, he is the curse, right? Of this mummy. He's, he's got this agent going off to get the lamps. He's the one who's financing all these trips. He's the one who's making all these things happen. All the deaths that res- that happen in the, uh, in the, uh, uh, excavations and the expeditions in Egypt. All of those are ultimately his responsibility, unless we think of them as Tara's responsibility. Or and, the first guy too, and that's why uh, I think looking at the fi- all the different film versions, it they're ways of understanding how people are understanding this book. So, um, Mysa, you said you only got through some of Blood of the Mummy's Tomb. Well, no, no, I, and I also watched The Awakening and Curse of the Mummy. Okay, let's. Uh, who else has watched The Awakening? That's the Charlton Heston one. I watched the first 15 minutes okay. of all of them because that's how much I could do without actually downloading. Okay. Um, but I did watch uh, the mystery and imagination. Okay. Uh, that's the curse of the mummy's all the tomb. Way through. Mm-hmm. That's the first adaptation from 1970 on television. It's the most faithful, I think. The only major change is uh, the house that. Uh, has been prepped in the caverns underneath are just in the same house and it's just a room, right? Right, which, you know, that's fine. They saved money and it totally saved money to the story. Uh, well, I think it makes a lot more interesting, like visually. It's if you think about that version, it's basically uh, teleplay, right? It's shot on videotape, they probably shot it in Mm -hmm. over the course of a day, and it, it, which is I'm 100% behind. But if we were mo- making a, a faithful adaptation of this film, I absolutely want to go to that country house and see <laughs> the chain, the train and all the problems of getting all that stuff there. Mm-hmm. And then the electricity and all that stuff. That awesome. I want to have it. But you're right. That would be fun, but it really wasn't all that relevant to the plot. What interested my, me most about this um, uh, British TV adaptation was the difference in tone mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the the facts that happened were pretty close. Um, but in the novel, you have a happy ending with with uh, Miss Trelawney now now the wife being very happy in her domesticity, <laughs> and it seems like if the queen is reincarnated into her 
that all Tara wanted was a happy life and, mm-hmm. you know, love and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, whereas, you know, her, her whole life as queen was one long struggle. And now she just gets to have a happy life at home with her <laughs> <laughs> with her adoring husband, um, which is certainly one way of uh, a happy ending. Um, but in the... Um, in the uh, British TV adaptation... Curse of the Mummy's Tomb from Mystery and Imagination. Right. In that one, um, the ending is completely sinister. Yeah, I love that sinister ending. <laughs> it, it's the same facts, but, you know, he... he um, um, the solicitor is happily writing in his journal yep. about, oh, we're going to be married today and it'll <sighs> be wonderful... And then you see Miss Trelawney behind him, decked out in the Queen's garments with this just absolutely predatory expression yep. on her face. Yep. And, you know, we don't know what she's going to end up doing uh, in life, but it's not looking like happy domesticity to me. <laughs> yeah, um, I am. I, I am thinking that that's the best adaptation ever done i've watched like i said all all seven <laughs> and that's the best adaptation the endings really good um will did you get to see that one no i did not see any of them oh okay well that's unfortunate but you can uh, de- definitely check it out that one is currently on youtube um i will Ooh. give the title again it's curse of the mummy's tomb from mystery and imagination february 23rd 1970 um and the next adaptation that is that Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, nineteen seventy one, which is it's fairly faithful. Um, there are the fashion uh, issues, <laughs> <laughs> problematic fashion is what I would say, um, and uh, it's it's very stylish. It's very interesting. Um, they don't have the seven fingers. One of the cool things about looking at all the covers is there all the artists are really good at at making sure that. Tara, if she's depicted on almost all the artists, very good at showing, you know, Tara there standing and sometimes caressing a, a jewel. Um, and usually she has seven fingers on at least one hand. And I didn't notice it at first, but now that I started looking, I can't stop noticing it. And that's something that's very difficult to translate to film. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. having an actor with a seventh, <laughs> sixth and seventh digit. Um, you know, clawing and pawing things is very difficult. So in the case of Blood from the Mummy's Tomb, the the hand does a lot of uh, killing and walking around on its own. It does a lot of extracurricular activities. It has a lot of extracurricular activities, you're right. Um, and that is a whole nother trope um, and a whole nother set of stories. There's a Guy de Montpassant story, actually two of them, um, called The Hand, One's called The Withered Hand, and it's a mummy story, and it's based on a, an incident that Montpassant had with a, a, a poet named Swinburne, um, who had one of these things. Um, so this, uh, you know, having mummy stuff around the house is a very big uh, thing in the 19th century. If you're a wealthy guy, it's like having a oh, Tesla, yeah. you, you know. <laughs> or, yeah. you know, common, not, not actual scholarly Egyptology, but... Uh, the deckings of Egyptology was just all the rage from the oh, early 
uh, early from basically from Napoleon explorations yeah. all the way through to the you know past uh, uh, Howard Carter mm-hmm. dis- discovering King Tut's tomb. Absolutely, um, I was thinking about all the um, in the twentieth century. I was thinking about all the films that lift whether they know it or not from this. So like, if you think about the first Indiana Jones movie, which is a great movie, right? Everybody loves that film. Um, Mm -hmm. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, it's not this plot, right? In fact, there's no mummies in it at all, but there is a jewel and it is used to map something at a certain time in a certain day, right? In a special place. And all of that, is sort of emphasized in other movies like uh, the movie The Awakening, which is not obviously a remake of, of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> uh, Charlton Heston's high-budget version of this is a pretty bad movie, but that's yeah. a horror movie, which is very different from this book, although this book could be done as a horror. It's more of a suspense story. And a mystery story and a supernatural story, but that one is like, it's almost like, uh, it's like the, what's that, the demon kid, Damien? The Omen? Damien. Oh, the Omen, right. Yeah, it's kind of like that late 70s, uh, horror supernatural. Share a tone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the curse that is happening is, it's so much of that, not, that movie is set in the, before the novel starts, right? It's all implied or something that we get in the journals later. Um, so that film, I think, suffers from its high concept of let's do the whole stories, but kind of backwards. And so, yeah, it's a terrible movie, I think, rightly dismissed. I actually have them in order of reverse order as you know, they sort of get worse over time. So the, <laughs> I, I mentioned these other ones since not everybody's watched them. The Mummy Resurrected 2014, a.k.a. Resurrection of the Mummy, is super low budget um, and mostly unfaithful. Uh, but we've got a character named Margaret Trelawney and her father. Um, and they're chased around by a mummy. Um, there's a duplicate uh, it's pretty awful. There's a whole bunch of, uh, young women who are in Egypt for some reason <laughs> and running around and it's really, you know, super terrible. Uh, it's available, <laughs> it's available on Tubi, uh, you know, that free streaming channel. Um, the 1980, 1998 movie, um, this one I almost didn't find at all is called The Eternal. A.K.A. Trance, A.K.A. The Eternal Kiss of the Mummy, A.K.A. The Mummy. Uh, <laughs> now, this is actually not a terrible film. It's not a good film, though. Um, it's the big star in it is Christopher Walken. It's set in Ireland, and it is not about Egyptian mummies. It's about a female Iron Age druidical bog mummy. She's a witch. Mm-hmm who has taken over a family and is using her influence to re-embody herself. But it's also got, like, it's almost like an art film because it has this family. It's sort of narrated from two children's point of view. And there's a family that is cursed, but the curse seems to be alcohol, 
which is very interesting. And so it's a, it's an interesting movie. Um, and it absolutely does not credit, uh, the novel. However, I watched all the credits at the end and it does say, um, thanks to Jorge Luis Borges, which I was very surprised about. Um, I don't know why he was credited other than there's lots of books in the bookshelves <laughs> in the movie. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And also to, uh, thanks to Bram Stoker. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, they, this is just a typo. Um, but apparently, the, <laughs> I don't know. The, uh, Hollywood, uh, movie people tried to license, uh, uh, pay the license to the Bram Stoker estate for the film and then hired the director who rewrote the script. Um, they didn't need to do that. Uh, the 1998 film, uh, Lou Gossett, also 1998, Lou Gossett adaptation of this novel is called Bram Stoker's Mummy or AKA, uh, Bram Stoker's Legend of the Mummy. And it is very faithful in many ways and it's a complete mess and very difficult to watch. Um, don't recommend it, but it does exist and it is rather faithful. Too many characters and a lot of running around that isn't necessary. Speaking of running around and isn't necessary, the tomb, uh, from 1986, deliberately and accidentally comedic, shot uh, in 13 days, written in 10 days, um, <laughs> very entertaining, <laughs> interesting, also a bad movie. Oh, it uh, looks like fun though. It's, it's super funny and weird. But not always on purpose, but also so 80s. It's quite delightful. And there's so many musical sequences for no reason. Oh, I can't wait to watch it. <laughs> it, is, it is not a good movie, but it is also quite interesting. And uh, I am not a person who likes watching bad movies. So that tells you something. Um, and then I think that covers all of all seven adaptations uh, that I know of. There are a uh, few other things that are sort, you know, distantly related, but most of these either credit the film or are lifting from it, uh, or are lifting from the novel. And most of them uh, get the title wrong as well, which they say the Jewel of the Seven Stars instead of I can Jewel understand of the seven retitling stars. it because oh, no one who looks at that title is going to think mummies. Indeed. Um, it, this is wrongly titled. It should be called the um, Mummy. Um, in in all in most of those movies, did they all uh, have like the because um, what because because I had read heard the audio drama the book mm -hmm. and the ending that it had you know the happy ending mm -hmm. and I and all the movies I was like why why are they doing this with this with her why is she evil why is she killing like what I didn't understand. Yeah. I didn't watch the out. Charlton Heston one all the way through, but I was really amused by the Wikipedia uh, summary of the plot mm -hmm. and what happens at the very end. Uh, I, I watched it. I don't remember it that well. I just remember thinking this is not good. And what, what did it say about uh, the ending? It said that Miss Trelawney, that um, at the very end, Professor Trelawney or whoever yeah, Trelawney, yeah. Yeah. Uh, realized that he was being manipulated by evil Queen Tara, and, but before he could do anything about it, um, 
Margaret Trelawney slash Tara killed him and left the tomb to go wreak her will on the world. Yeah, she is a baddie in the end. Um, I, I will point out that uh, that actually she's not a Trelawney in the film. They made her a Corbeck. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's confusing. It is very confusing, and it it it's almost like. It's somebody read the book, they wrote a script, and then they said, that's not the important character. This Trelawney guy, we're not going to spend any time with him. We're spending time with Heston. Heston's amazing. He's out in the field. He's wearing the neckerchief. He's running around. Um, and that film is broken up into uh, a large section that's 18, 18 years previous. And then right. the next section when the daughter's all grown up. Um, and it is, it is a, curse movie in the sense like Rosemary's Baby or something like that you know it's I actually haven't seen Rosemary's Baby but um, it's it's like the omen it's a cursed kid or you know something bad has happened and the father is largely responsible for it The in, it, it's like um, like we always say uh, <laughs> when you look at a movie it tells you about its period rather than mm. about what the subject is so in the late 1970s, early 1980s, divorce and who is responsible for uh, breaking up our marriage is really important. Um, and that's what that movie is about. There's, you know, this Corbeck uh, professor guy from England. Charlton Heston is English, by the way, in this for some reason, um, is responsible for breaking up his marriage and for killing his 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 daughter. Um in childbirth. The wife is still alive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, what? Okay. We thought, well, when I was watching, I thought she had died, but she just disappeared and went to, went to live in the United States and raised the daughter in the United States. So they're, they are rhyming with the original story, <laughs> but they're focused on their own issues and their own servicing their own, I don't know, subconsciouses <laughs> and what I guess they think the audiences want. But I, I think that that's sort of a side effect, right? The uh, servicing the audiences is a, is a side effect of what the what the artist is having a problem with, and it it seems very clear to me that Bram Stoker loves this setup where you've got a bunch of people who are all you know fairly well off, one stranger from the United States, perhaps somebody who's an outsider, um, and they all, in good faith, are working together to solve the issue. And so th- this book has a tension between sort of the w- the experiment, which is what they call it, right? Over and over, the great experiment, the experiment, and what that would mean. And they saw, all get sort of sucked into this uh, whirlpool of of this orbit around this obsessive Egyptologist. And most of them go with it. No problem. The only one who doesn't is Sylvanus or Silvio. 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 Silvio's the only one. Yeah, he has a second That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I feel like that that symbolism is just, like, left there. Yes. And, uh, you know, we get to yeah. do with it whatever we want. We but, can. Wow. Did did you think that Tara, with all her wondrous powers, was also a time traveler? I mean, she do, she 100%. buried herself in a in a wedding 
gown. One hundred percent. One of the and, shows yeah, we're so going to do a, upcoming yeah. is uh, it's a famous novel. It's one of the most famous novels of the nineteenth century. Edward Bellamy's Looking Backward. And it's about a guy who goes into the future and sees the reality of what the future is looking like, right? Um, this is a very popular theme in science fiction. Here, we're seeing it from the future people's point of view mm-hmm. of this time traveler from our period, who is ancient Egypt, Right. And so it, it's really the same story. And I, I kept thinking about all the other films that are kind of basically the same story. Um, it, it's mostly films for mummies. Right. And one of them is Life Force, which is also based on a novel called Space Vampires. <laughs> <laughs> but if you think about that one, she's destroyed worlds. Right. She's in space. She comes back in Haley's Comet, and it's only humans going into her tomb, which is a spaceship, um, that will wreak the devastation upon England specifically. It's a retelling of Dracula, but, you know, in space. <laughs> um, and sucking the life force out of people. Um, it's a different variation, but definitely they are, uh, mummies are time travelers. They don't get to do much once they, <laughs> they get out of their tombs later in life. <laughs> but in this case, she, she does. The disappearance of her body, um, and that of the cats, right? The corpse of the, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but I meant like when, when she saw, um, Trelawney, mm-hmm. like she, she knew that about his daughter who would grow up. To get married to yeah, um, she's astrally all over the place. She's, like she was she's a, yeah, and, and yeah, okay. She's a yeah. star rover. Yes, she's cosmically aware. <laughs> she's cosmically aware of all time and space. Yeah, she's <laughs> she's astrally projecting all all day long. All day long. Finally, you're here. <laughs> all night long, she's astrally projecting. Five hundred centuries. What took you so long? She she astrally projected into this rich guy, who turns out. Uh, I, I hope we'll notice this part. Um, I was wondering, where did he get his money? And eventually we find out, right? Oh, yeah, he's a, his families are smugglers, drug dealers, or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that was, yeah, they're, um, they're, Cornish, uh, they're, they're Cornish smugglers. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes sense, like, right? Like they're also Cornish. Like, that's, like, another aspect of this, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And so this is, uh, this is important because you have to have somebody with enough resources to reset up your tomb. Get everything, all the stars aligned, right? This, yes. <laughs> yep. The seven stars. And I, I think that this is, this is actually why Egyptology was a craze is because it's, it, of course we're interested in this stuff, right? And one of the things that I think is so funny, if you think about it, it's a very meta situation, but why, why we care about mummies in Egypt so much, why Egyptology has its own branch of archaeology, right? It's not because the, uh, the Egyptians were obsessed with death, right? That's the, their death cult. They're all about, you know, these tombs. It's, it's because they're the only ones who, who did it as well as they did it, right? Everybody else has amazing, interesting cultures from, uh, thousands and thousands of years ago. It's just that they didn't spend all their time building stone monuments in a desert that wouldn't rot, right? <laughs> that, that, and, it, and it lasted for so long. Right. That was it. And yeah. even 
that's not even true because China has mummies from 2000 years ago. I, uh, I had you all read that short story my student wrote. Um, mm-hmm. uh, one thing you may not have noticed is a, there's a Chinese mummy uh, mentioned in the story or a Chinese name mentioned in the story. Type it yeah, in. I noticed that. Did you, it, if you type it into Google, type in Lady Dai, L-A-D-Y, and then D-A-I, and you'll see a picture of her. She is preserved from 2,000 years ago. Oh, cool. And they have a reconstruction, artistic reconstruction of her. Um, she looks like a Chinese lady. But uh, they actually have a photograph of what she looks like decanted. And this is the way they did Chinese mummies. Uh, 2000 years ago, it was not wrapped up in uh, layers of cloth only. She was in liquid, stored in a mysterious liquid that preserved her skin and organs so that they could see what she ate for breakfast that uh, the day she died, which was melon seeds, uh, melons or melon Ew. seeds. Uh, did you see the picture? Super freaky. <laughs> Uh, yeah, like you can see her tongue. You can see her tongue. You can see like all this. Like apparently her skin is still pliable, and it's like two thousand years in a tomb, and she's still around and doing stuff, <laughs> changing <laughs> lives, <laughs> changing <laughs> lives. Um, so mummies are are fascinating because they are windows into a period of time from so long ago. Of course, we're interested in them, but we, what, what I guess is going on here is that Terra has weaponized our interest (laughs) (laughs) and turned our interest into a, a grift to get herself to where, you know, to a new place. Uh, Or maybe it's not a grift. Uh, It's, she's, she's used the knowledge of, uh, forethought to make it possible for her to be uh, alive again in a real body, a real body, a physical body. And so I, I was thinking about the, the death traps right in her tomb. There was a, what was it called? The treasurer with the spear who comes out of the wall. If you, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the films, uh, they focus on that <laughs> because it's very visual. Right. But that's actually sort of the least interesting part is that she wanted to be excavated. She wanted to be collected. She's manipulating this situation. And it's Corbeck who's kind of uh, not under the spell. He's under the he's interested, but he's not particularly under under Terra's spell, right? It's that it's that uh Trelawney is Abel Trelawney. Actually Corbick made me think a little bit of she also mm-hmm. of the English servants and she he too is a a lower class man who just knows evil when he sees it. But you say lower class, class but he's got a so lot strong of that he just goes along with his boss anyway, even though he knows that this queen is evil. Doesn't he have like uh he has like a billion degrees. He has a billion degrees. So he's not lower class, he's poor. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right? He's he's like uh he's like he's, Alan Quartermain. Uh yeah, well Alan Quartermain's a little more um I don't know. 
he's a Alan little Quarterman makes money after he comes back from Kukuwana land. But before that, he's just like, um, like a hunter or trader. Yeah. And he just, you know, he's like kind of a desperate guy. I, I see him more as like, he's more like an elite functionary in, you know, in a, uh, a think tank. <laughs> he, he's, he, he's like, um, he's a weapon for hire, but he also likes the subject. And so yeah, he's genuinely fascinated. I maybe think. he's, but he's also maybe more. He's Mad Mike. Who's Who's Mad Mike? He's a he's a white African mercenary who like went around like overthrowing governments oh. like, for hire, <laughs> like the man who would be king or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's but yeah, he he died uh, like this year, last year, something like that, pretty recently. But uh, if you Google him, he's just like. Um, uh, he's kind of this like weird, famous uh, mercenary who liked to like uh, overthrow governments uh, for money and just like really hated communism and oh, like okay. hated black people. Oh, uh, Mad Mike Horry? Is that yeah. his name? Okay. All right. There's a few Mad Mikes out there, but um, yeah, no. The, 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 I think he's 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 a Mad Mike mercenary Egyptologist, right? He's interested exactly. in Egyptology, which instead of killing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he'll go to, and, you know, his, his story is quite interesting, but he is not, he's not under the spell, right? He's, he's actually more, I don't know, thoughtful about what's going on. He is actually our, sort of our, our klaxon in the same way as, uh, Silvis, Sil, Silvio is. Silvio. Mm-hmm. I can't get his <laughs> name right. Uh, Silvio is a klaxon warning us and so is he in a way though i believe this plot uh, turnabout is fair play i mean consider how europeans because of their craze for egyptology (laughs) came in and basically ravaged the cultural history of egypt you know carrying you know breaking open tombs carrying off many 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 items uh, Mm -hmm. which you know mostly no care given to uh, provenance or preservation of history or anything. So and the French, in a way, and the Italians. Okay, and... we're we're doing this, but you know, really, we're we're just robbing the tomb of an evil queen anyway. So it kind of assuages uh, European guilt a little bit. Well, I I was thinking it's it's revenge, right? So the this great <laughs> empire from uh, five thousand years ago. Uh, went into decline and is gone. And same with Dracula, right? He's, he's, he's taking, it's taking over the yeah, empire. He's, he's from a decadent civilization. Right, right. Yeah. It's, uh, and the, the, their issues are different. So, like, she is, you're, you're saying she's undead, Misa. And I think mm-hmm. that's exactly right. Um, same way Dracula's undead, but her, she's not, her evil is more, um, Less Catholic, I don't know. It's more, it's more about her being willful, right? Rather than uh, I'm in league with the devil or whatever. I invert your Christian morality. It's more like no, no I've got this whole other system going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have. I'm bringing the ancient knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's in the, I guess, from the deleted chapter, which, uh, why would it be deleted? There's two reasons, I would guess. One is, stylistically, he disapproved of it. He said, no, 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 no. Um, second, it 
underscores the more bleak vision uh, of what this all means, what the what the results of the great experiment all mean, as opposed to the sort of ambiguous ending that we actually have in the revised 1912 version, mm-hmm. where it's left open for us to think about why Silva Silvio had twelve <laughs> seven seven claws on one foot. <laughs> what did Silvio well, Silvio wanted to avoid being turned into a cat from 5,000 years ago is that correct <laughs> it's really Silvio's story we need to get to the bottom of this <laughs> Silvio appreciated the, the life force in the other mummy cat to get it out well it was angry at it right it was like mm-hmm. hateful of it yeah because it knew what it was, maybe. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's her familiar. Um, in one of the movie adaptations, I can't remember which one, probably The Awakening, uh, her familiar was a snake, which, uh, has a different resonance, right? Um, Silvio wasn't a black cat, was he? I don't remember that being I mentioned. Think, I, I think he was just a cat. So. He just wanted to be petted and lifted up. I had the impression that it was a gray cat. Yeah. I thought it was a tabby. Hmm. (laughs) Well, I guess we'll find out when we uh, do our adaptation. What do you think? Unless it's a radio drama, in which case it'll be left up to everybody's imagination. Oh, I think on one of the covers it's shown as gray. Ah. So, um... Let's see. What else? What what are we not covered on this book? Um, when you when I was reading it, mm-hmm. and, and he was talking about she was the only female pharaoh, uh, upper and lower, and I was like, no, that's not. Uh, I was railing against him. Hatshepsut is <laughs> you're thinking of. And, uh, and then when I went back and read the um, the Wikipedia, I, I I found out that he he just didn't name her, but but it was an homage anyway. Mm. To her, so y- 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 y'all know about Hapshatsut. This is uh, yes, uh, what, how do we what's the I need to ask Trish, what's the correct gender fluid? Is that Hapshatsut? Am I getting the right character? Well, <clears throat> she was a queen, a pharaoh who claimed you know, she. Women were not normally allowed to be pharaohs, but she became one anyway. I haven't read enough about her to know whether she wore men's clothes. She like, did. Uh, she wore men's clothes. She had herself depicted <clears throat> with a beard. Oh, that's right. I remember now reading about the beard that she had, the fake beard. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So and, and she upper and had lower to take Egypt on as well. the trappings of masculinity in order to rule, but I don't know if that's, you know really what her nature was or if it was just you know expedient mm. i think it was and and she also had her name was also obliterated from all the, that's um, why i was thinking about her um yeah. uh, interesting right like this is uh, when we look when we think about kings and queens and what <laughs> what power they had in in ancient days um one of them, one of their powers is they can just do whatever they want, which is kind of like a nice power to have, you know, like, I don't want to be a, a farmer. <laughs> I want to study, um, philosophy or I want to be an actor, right? If you're, 
if you're the son of a uh, an, a Roman emperor, you can do whatever you want, right? Um, now, your dad's going to say, no, you, you got to join the army. But really, if you've got this kind of financial freedom and um, and the religion's not that strong, I guess, you can do whatever you want. You can be a gladiator, even though that's a low-class thing, right? So uh, given that the, there are these people in history who we know about and have um, are sometimes struck from the records, right? Because of their, their sins or whatever in their position. Blasphemy of their life. That's right. Um, or simply resistance to the priestly class. <laughs> That's uh, what I meant. <laughs> well, pretty much the same thing, right? I mean, we have, <laughs> we have, we have a priestly class today and it is not necessarily religious. It's, it's just a, a, a group of people who say these are the things that are acceptable and these are the things that are not acceptable. So if you, if you can get free from that a little bit, you can, what we do maybe call flourish, right? You can be your true self, whatever that is. So I think studying these, these folks over periods of time, you see lots of, uh, freedoms, that they might have that maybe regular folks in their day-to-day lives were not able to do. Um, and I, I think that's kind of interesting. And she, uh, given that she's extra powerful, she's got these se- two extra digits on one hand and two extra digits on one toe, although maybe that's less powerful, uh, <laughs> allows her and with I, her I power. The toe digits are significant too, though, right? Yeah. Because of the, um, uh, the, the powers, uh, inscribed on them. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, it, it, this number seven coming up and again and again. But right. thinking. And, and, and also upper and lower too. There's all yeah. the upper, lower, upper, lower. So. Mm-hmm. But also, like, she's got the magic skills. She exceeded her teachers. This is, uh, kind of flourishing that allows for, uh, a full and healthy life and an extra life, right? A go beyond life. And so that, I think that's kind of, uh, what one way of reading this is it's not, she's not the massive threat to our humanity and our way of life, our empire, um, in the way that Dracula would be, right? Or in the way that Aisha would have been if she uh, indeed. had succeeded. Indeed, right. was evil. Yes, Aisha is a really good uh, counter <laughs> counterpoint because, um, yeah, she is evil. Um, yeah, I, I would say that our Terra is manipulative, which is close to you know evil, but she doesn't kill that many people. <laughs> So, I mean, you look back in history, a whole lot of kings and queens killed a whole lot of people. Presidents and (laughs) and uh, speakers of the houses have done similar (laughs) things. Yes. Um, On on the on the seven, I was thinking about the seven and the people that were in the um, room during the resurrection. And Mm. I was like, is it seven? How many is it? All right. and, and it, it's, it's Malcolm, Margaret, Trelawney, Corbeck, Dr. Winchester, Tara. And the, and then the last one, I was like, hmm. Sylvia. What about, huh? Sylvia. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the mummy cat or Sylvia. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, I scrolled through the, uh, the, um, <clears throat> Gutenberg thing mm-hmm. and I found a description. He was certainly a magnificent animal, 
a chinchilla gray Persian with mm. long silky hair, a really lordly animal <laughs> with a haughty bearing despite his gentleness and with great paws which spread out as he placed them on the ground. Ah. Well, there you go. They're really great. Go. Seven. Sevenly seven. great. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, that's actually a kind of Lovecraftian description of a cat, isn't it? Always. It was a nice description. I don't remember there being that many elaborate descriptions of persons in Dracula. Certainly no elaborate descriptions of animals. Um, no. But, uh, you know, there's there's a good command of language in this book. It's, oh, yeah. it's uh, you know, quite engaging. Um, uh, so Slow-paced, as was the custom <laughs> in these Victorian It's books. only ten hours. A so. slow burn, um, but uh, you, you know it, it's it's quite 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 respectably good prose. Oh yeah, oh no, some uh, Micey, you tweeted something uh, from it. I think that you thought was really nice. I did. Um, um, yeah, it's got it's got nice language. I mean, it's well written. It's <clears throat> you know beautifully written. I guess it's it, it's not the most. Most beautiful, but it's definitely and smooth and easy to read, right? It's mm-hmm. smooth and easy to read. I think think some of the prose in uh, in she is more beautiful, um, but no, they, yeah, they, more they, epic for sure. At all wrong with this book as as a as a piece of uh, <clears throat> writing. Agreed. I want to hear more. I think I disagree with you guys though, oh. on like the prose. Um, I, I mean, I think the prose is really good, but I feel like you could do an edit of this book where you cut out like about a third of it and it would not <laughs> suffer. Oh, definitely. It's it's uh, what's funny is it's only 10 hours, which is short for today's books. But I still think it, it could be cut down. Think about how efficient that uh, 1970 TV movie adaptation is. Mm-hmm. It's super efficient. It gets almost everything that's in the novel into that. There's, you know, there's no train ride. Um, but we've got the gas mask. We've got the, the mystery element. We've got the detectives running around. There's actually a, a few scenes that are sort of compressed, I guess, from stuff in here. But yeah, it is, it definitely could, um, have been shortened mm-hmm. and not suffered. Happen greatly but uh and i guess he did do that by removing a chapter right um but uh i actually kind of like what's going on in that chapter the missing yeah chapter. i think he cut it I the wrong too. place for sure mm-hmm. um he's uh, I, uh, very smart about like commercial uh he, he seems to have had like a kind of uh commercial instinct he you know because he was a stage manager at a movie right. not a movie theater uh, uh Acting theater. Um, he, he sees how, you know, you put on a play and what's not working. He changes, you know, you change it. The playwrights mm-hmm. change the, the structure. They add actors. They remove actors. They, they're constantly tweaking to improve stories. And you sort of see that with this as it could have gone through more drafts and had, um, I, I again, like, I like, I like the ending as it is, but I think slightly more sinister. I, it, it, he's definitely playing to it. Like, uh, Margaret Trelawney is being influenced, I think, 
right from the beginning of the very first thing of this book, right? And what's so cool is I actually am really enjoying, uh, and I, I really enjoyed the opening chapter because the opening chapter is a dream, right? Uh, of this book? Yeah. So, uh, and it's a dream oh, yes, yes, from, yeah. uh, it's, it's, I think it's kind of how, uh, this is how Tara manipulates people. So sh- I'll just read, uh, some of this. I'll see how much, how far I get. Uh, chapter one, a summons in the night. It all seems so real that I could hardly imagine that it had ever occurred before. And yet each episode came not as a fresh step in the logical logic of things, but as something unexpected. It is in such a wise, (coughs) it is in such a wise that memory plays, should be ways probably, wise, a memory plays its pranks for good or ill, for pleasure or pain, for weal or woe. It is thus the life is that life is bittersweet and that which has been done becomes eternal. So this can be read multiple ways. One of them is he's talking about the whole novel, right? He's talking about everything that happened. Another way of reading this is this is Tara talking. And another way of reading this is this, this is him talking about his dream. So I'm going to read the next paragraph, and you can see this is a dream. Again, the light skiff, ceasing to shoot through the lazy water as when the oars flashed and dripped, glided out of the fierce July sunlight. What uh, month of the year? July sunlight into the cool shade of the great drooping willow branches. I, I standing up in the swaying boat, she sitting still and with deft fingers guarding herself from the stray twigs of the freedom of resilience of moving boughs. Again, the water looked golden brown under the canopy of translucent green and the grassy bank was an emerald of emerald hue. Again, we sat in the cool shade with the myriad noises of nature, both without and within our bower, emerging into the drowsy hum in whose sufficing environments the great world, with its disturbing trouble and its more disturbing joys, can be effectually forgotten. Again, in that blissful solitude, the young girl lost the convention of her prim, narrow upbringing and told me in a natural, dreamy way of the loneliness of her new life. With an undone undertone of sadness she made me feel how in that spacious home each one of the household was isolated by the personal magnificence of her father and herself that their confidence had no altar and sympathy no shrine and that their and that there even her father's face was as distant as the old country life seemed now once more the wisdom of my manhood and the Experience of my years laid themselves at the girl's feet. It was seemingly their own doings for the individual I, and that's in parentheses, our brackets, quotation marks, sorry, has had no say in the matter, but only just obeyed imperative orders. And once again, the flying seconds multiplied themselves endlessly, for it is in the arcana of dreams that existences merge and renew themselves change and yet keep the same like the soul of a musician in a fugue and so memory swooned again and again in sleep so this sounds like he's having a dream and he is but is this a dream that he is having or that she is having and he is putting himself in that is uh tara um 
because they seem to be on an Egyptian river, aka the Nile, right? Um, and she's complaining about her her father, aka her uh, pharaoh <laughs> or whatever, right? Uh, no mention of seventh fingers there, but you wouldn't mention yeah. that after the first meeting, probably. <laughs> But uh, I'm pretty sure that dream is actually about an event. Um, there, sure. There is mention later of him having gone on a brief boating expedition with Mr. Lonnie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that she had confided in him about the loneliness uh, of her house. So, mm-hmm. so um, Tara may be inserting herself into that also with the tone. Uh, but I, I, I mean... I don't think it's a wholly fabricated, <clears throat> excuse me, a wholly fabricated dream. Well, the next paragraph, it seems that there is never to be any perfect rest. Even in Eden, the snake rears its head among the laden boughs of the tree of knowledge. The silence of the dreamless night is broken by the roar of the avalanche, the hissing of sudden floods, the clanging of the engine bell marking its sweep through a sleeping American town, the clanking of distant paddles over the sea. Whatever it is, it is the breaking of, of the charm of my Eden. The canopy of green above us, starred, starred with diamond points of light, seemed to quiver in the ceaseless beat of the paddles, and the restless bell seems as though it would never cease. So this is him coming out of the dream, right? Incorporating the, the doorbell and the knocking, right? And the street noises of his dream. But, uh, this also reminds me the stars there. Um, you know, you guys all know about the plow. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and you know why it's useful? Why people should learn where the Big Dipper is? Navigation. Yeah. If you line up the the front part of the Dipper and it points you north, which is, I guess, where England is? Kind of north of Egypt? Kind of. Northwest. I mean, northwest, <laughs> but whatever. Just he's a man from the north will come down and... Right, dig you out and get you all going again. So, yeah, he he's definitely a good writer. He's definitely got something going here. I found my quote that I that I liked. Mm -hmm. It was, "The record of a soul is but a multiple of the story of the moment." Yeah, what does it mean? (laughs) I saw the tweet and I'm like, that sounds good. I, I, I think it. So, like, your whole soul is it's the moment. Like a, a moment can be forever, mm-hmm. or a moment um, strung together is the record of the soul. But I, but I, I have, I think what it actually means is the entirety of history is in a moment, kind mm-hmm. of like uh, a hologram. Mm. Mm. Could you read it one more time, please? Mm-hmm. The record of a soul is but a multiple of the story of a moment. Yeah, so the the Egyptians didn't have um, a dualist uh, perspective, you know, like body and soul, which is very uh, most most Christians go with that, right? Um, Jews tend not to go with that. They're they're they don't usually say uh, we're we're just our bodies. They don't say we're materialists. Um, but they also don't talk about souls very much, right? You're, you're dead when you're dead and there is no shadow, shadowy 
heaven for Jews. Um, but the Egyptians, they are like, nah, it's like seven feet bits. <laughs> it's a whole bunch, right? There's your ka, and then there's, uh, your sp- sp- uh, astral thing, and then there's your body. And I don't know, there's more than that as well. They're like, um, I don't know. They, they got a whole, like, basically it's your id, your ego, your super ego, uh, the brain, right? Your, uh, I think of it like, um, programs inside of a, a, a thinking about my own self, right? My brain is a computer. Uh, my mind is the software running on my computer. And, uh, occasionally there are glitches and I have to reset basically every night <laughs> reboot. Right. Um, but that's not all, I don't know. It, 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 what's the, wh- how is it technically work for Tara? What is she trying to do? Is she like in some of the adaptations, it seemed to me like this is a takeover, right? She has, made herself a new vessel to put herself in. And this is usually the term for it, right? The body is a vessel. Um, you put your, pour your spirit, which is literally why spirits are called spirits, alcohol, right? Is they, mm-hmm. they pour, <laughs> uh, and they flow, right? Into a vessel. Um, and that vessel's filled or emptied. And when you die, your spirit leaves your vessel, right? That's the dualist sort of take on it. But uh, is it emerging? Because she seems to be born for this, right? Margaret Trelawney, um, with her her uh, mom dying and the father doing this. And it all seems all part of a pl- uh, Tara's plan. But yeah, the baby died and was. But her personality in the in the 1912 version is not different. It's just I don't know because she has these moments of clarity throughout the book, right, where she just knows stuff. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's like uh, uh, I don't know. I I just read William Wilson, so I'm thinking about like who is who and what's what because we don't really like what's the. Worry I used to have as a kid. You, you can't go to sleep because if you do, you die and some, some guy wakes up in the morning with your memories. <laughs> <laughs> because there's a, there's a break in the consciousness, right? Yeah. This is sort of a, a thing we see in, in stories where don't fall asleep. I, I guess that's in, uh, yeah, that's in the body snatchers, right? Don't fall asleep because if you do, then they, that's when they get you and they replace you and they replace you with a, a worse version of you. Because first of all, you're dead. And second of all, you wouldn't want to live like that. Yeah, but it didn't seem like that with Tara. No, it, it, it seems like, um. It was like a, a welcoming, let's share this space. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's like an immigrant to the new country. <laughs> Kind of upper and lower, yeah. To get <laughs> old and new, yeah. The house in Cornwall is it in Cornwall? Um, he's got mm-hmm. the upstairs, and then there's I, I assume it's like the bat cave, it's underneath the house. Um, yeah, it's in a, it's <laughs> yeah. in a natural cave, but finished by labor, right? Right, 
Um, so, uh, that the upper and lower, and that's why it works in the, the 1970 film, uh, TV movie as well, is they say, uh, no one has a, a key to this room. Um, and that's where the tomb is basically reconstructed, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, with all the parts. Um, it seems to me he, he could have just moved to, moved to, uh, set up house in, Egypt, but the whole point is to bring the foreign into England, right? Make yeah. make the empire make it central to the empire. And well, uh, so, but Tara is the one that chose it, though. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, the the, <laughs> the author wrote the book, though, right? <laughs> oh, him. <laughs> yeah, him. You know, he's actually the guiding hand that's behind everything. <laughs> right. But he does, he also doesn't have full access to why he's doing stuff, right? Which is why we get different, different versions and, and, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's really interesting to think about. The, the other, uh, the other, uh, thing that there's dualism or mm-hmm. contradiction or there's, there's two of is, um, uh, the, the aspects of femininity, uh, inhabited by the, by Margaret and by, um, uh, Tara is, uh, you know, Mar- we've talked about this. Margaret's the, the domestic. She's happy to be, uh, married. Um, you know, mm-hmm. she wants her father's approval. Uh, she likes that he's like giving his permission to her suitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the other hand, you have, uh, uh, the old woman who's the new woman, right? Like, she's mm-hmm. just like, I- I'm out of here. I'm not even telling you all what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I like killed nine people like in the past five thousand years. <laughs> uh, I, I've been all over the universe, and I uh, I'm empowered by uh, this like ancient alien metal uh, <laughs> that's allowed me to do this. Um, uh, yeah, the aerolite uh, is aerolite. Uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a meteorite <laughs> is what we would call it today. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I mean, the implication is that it's a it's a special meteorite with special properties. It came from the stars. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's why um, going back to the William was it William Morris right the metal William sword. Wilson. No, no, uh, William Morris. Uh, no, it was um, Dunsany, the Dunsany novel we did last. Um, the sword was a star spawned right because it's it's a um <clears throat> some aerolites aka meteorites are made of of uh high iron content and yeah you turn that into a magic sword right that's where an iron defeating monsters you know magical swords etc it's because iron's stronger than uh better for swords than uh uh bronze right um so it turns them into magic swords so here we've got a star connected right she is in some way divine in that she has access to this special knowledge about space she's got astral projection going she knows more than uh stoker and his contemporaries about what space is right they don't know that they're just living in one of many galaxies at this point. They just think it's it's the galaxy is the universe and one and the same. But she knows, <laughs> and so she is she is the st- the star 
metal in this case uh right is is actually it's the thing that should scare us because it is special it isn't just she's she has a strong will it's a symbol of something just like the way dracula having his powers is a symbol that i guess um that the devil is real in a certain sense having a divine connection where you know astrology really actually has value and meaning <laughs> uh numerology well, it's science, has right it, it, yes it's explained as science right i think that's important yeah. it's not right. um radium it's only as magical as like the coming race is magical right right like, right, the right. Is an energy right so the radium that is so prominent in this book is it's science it's just we don't understand it right and so this astral projection stuff that she's doing, I don't think it's ever actually called astral projection in here, but that's what she is doing, right? Um, well, she has an astral body anyway. Yeah, yeah. they do yeah. say that. Yeah, so uh, when, when I say astral projection, I just mean um, lying around and yet being able to travel and do stuff. Slightly influenced things like a ghost, maybe. You say, hey, uh, pick up that fork. <laughs> Slightly some... influenced things by uh, killing nine people. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> And you know, making good plans, right? So that it said, uh, Jesse, with a uh, with a soul with the gods, a spirit which could wander the earth at will, and a power of corporal corporal corp- corporeal <laughs> corporeal transference or an astral body. There be there need be no bounds or limits to her ambition. Right. So why does she need a, a regular body? I think she just wants one, right? Like it's fun to taste stuff. <laughs> Kiss boys and she has like a purpose. Like she's been studying, right? That's true. (laughs) We just don't know what it is, right? Yeah, yeah. And that and that's a good place to cut it off. You don't want to have a sequel because whatever it is is going to be disappointing, probably. Absolutely. Or or it'll be the wrong scale, right? Because this is the interesting part: is the possibilities that are opened up by it. Well, um, so do you think she's off to stop the Vrilya, or is it Will doing his farmer impression here? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think there's a there is a farmer connection um, to this book, or uh, the. I mean, like, there's a farmer connection to every book, but sure. uh, the uh, especially here, um, the way these uh, uh, Victorian post Victorian guys are uh, obsessed with like. Um, you know, the ancient Egyptian concept of the soul, the, mm-hmm. uh, what the Ka does, um, you know, that's the, that's the mechanism in, uh, probably Philip Jose Farmer's most famous, uh, series, the Riverworld series. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you know, your, your, uh, your Waffen, which he like compares to a Ka is, you know, recorded with, uh, all of your memories and sense impressions. So you can put it into a different body scientifically if you know the right science. Um, so that, I mean, that's pretty similar here. The, uh, there's an H. Ryder Haggard novel, uh, from, a, from this period, or actually after this period, 1919, uh, When the World Shook, that is, um, there's a lot of valences with this novel where the, uh, the protagonist has, uh, he's a British gentleman, of course, uh, uh, I forget whether he's a solicitor or a barrister, um, uh, but he's a lawyer, in fact. That's and, important. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and he, uh, you know, has this interest in Egyptology, the Egyptian concepts of the soul. And he has this love interest, uh, that's kind of like tragic. She dies very young and, you know, uh, he becomes a, uh, a stuffy, uh, 
uh, middle-aged guy with a great career and kind of he doesn't know what he's doing with his life he's also a millionaire socialist which is like a weird like thing that like h writer haggard throws into the novel like his friends make fun of him for that um so they go to the south pacific naturally uh and um uh, there uh they find this like quarter million year old uh, lost city uh, that is uh, from a previous civilization that understood all these energies, right? Um, and uh, wouldn't you know that the the princess of this civilization um, just uh, bears a striking resemblance to this guy's dead love interest. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's the uh, there's the reincarnation aspect of this. The the uh, the people who who come back from this quarter million old civilization, like their king, is like very menacing. So there's like it's. He has more of like a science fiction plan to destroy the world uh, in it. Uh, but uh, it's it's neat. You see this sort of um, I want to call it like these almost like theosophical adventures, like start to become science fiction stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, this novel we, we just read, like has like so many valences with like any of these kind of like gothic or weird stories where you have like uh, like like scientists essentially trying to like apply science to like some like mythological or magical phenomenon. Mm-hmm. Um, it has that like X Files feel uh, uh, to it. Uh, yes. What I would except call better. It. The yeah. mythology on X Files is shit. It just it starts I mean, off I, I, so well and then it's like oh my god really. No X Files is uneven. Yeah. Yes. But um, that's like what happens when a show like lasts that long. Yeah, it's true. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, yeah. Um, uh, so that's a valence. And then um, Jesse sent me uh, this uh, uh, story by uh, Seabury Quinn uh, that I did not actually read, but I have like a sensibility about uh, based on researching about it, uh, okay, which I, I think counts as homework. So yeah. we have uh, The Jewel of Seven Stones by uh, Seabury Quinn, uh, uh, published in uh, Weird Tales in uh, April 1928. Uh, so a little bit after this story uh, came out, um, uh, I assume uh, with the podcast notes, Jesse's going to like put the cover of this yeah, uh, Tales <laughs> issue, and uh, it's a little bit different. Um, there's a reincarnation aspect of it, but there's like uh, like a bad priest and a like uh, like good princess uh, aspect of the story um, uh, that is like. You know, so that kind of distinguishes it. Um, the ending of the story is uh, less ambiguous uh, about what happens. Um, and then it's also uh, it's uh, uh, part of a series, actually. Um, so um, our, our friend Seabury Quinn had a recurring character called uh, Dr. Jules uh, de Grandin. Mm-hmm. Um, I might be doing the French wrong there, but he's a he's a French guy, he, but he's retired to New Jersey. He's um, a, an occult detective. And so, uh, uh, you know, he's uh, so this is just uh, one in a number of series. So the monster of the week this time is uh, are these mummies that are coming back. Uh, but uh, I don't think it has the same kind of overtones as the uh, um, Bram Stoker story with like the deep philosophy and stuff. Um, so that uh, uh, that's my report on okay. uh, uh, the rule of seven stars. I, I I don't really want to read any Seabury Quinn because uh, what I've read is just not that interesting. I do recommend everybody read more Bram Stoker. There's a story I did on reading short and deep called um, The Crystal Cup. It's actually his first story is 1872 and it is super obscure. Like it is, 
what it was i think it was republished in the 70s uh, 1970s and then you know it didn't have anything in between so 100 years basically um and it's beautiful and it has a lot of the things that are happening in here but very abstract it's basically it's about a a crystal goblet um and it is filled with light from the sun um and it that light travels over the waters of the earth as the sun comes up and it fills the cup and it's just basically a description of that and that's the story and it's amazing and it is about this sort of him already dealing with the idea of souls and what is all what does it mean right like like how can you have a cup filled with nothing in it you know it doesn't get heavier when you when you uh fill a cup with light um, it gets heavier if you fill it with liquid, but it doesn't get heavier when you fill it with light. And so he's turning that into uh, sort of a, it's not a science fiction story, but he's taking the, the, the reality of stuff and then, you know, materialism, basically, and then trans, transmuting it into a kind of uh, poetic beauty. And... I, I think that's what he's doing here too. It's just there's a lot more characters and it's, it's it's much more like a stage play. Whereas the Crystal Cup can never be a stage play. It could be a f- short film. It could be uh, an audiobook. I don't think it could be a radio drama because <laughs> there's no <laughs> characters, right? Uh, except for the cup <laughs> and and the light, and that's not really what you would say is, you know, that's not, that's hard to personify. And uh, another thing I was thinking of when, Will, you were talking about uh, other valences. Um, if you haven't read it, um, everybody should. It's very interesting. It's called A Voyage to Arcturus by David Lindsay. Oh, man, that's been on the list for so long. Tell us everything about it right now. Okay. <laughs> it is super cool. Um, very weird. There is actually a a feature-length film adaptation that is black and white, no budget, and quite interesting. (laughs) It was like an amateur production, I believe. It should be available on YouTube. But basically, um, what it is, it's about these guys in the UK, um, one of them specifically. It's been a long time since I read it. But he's suicidal, and he climbs a tower, um, and then he jumps from the tower, and then he ends up on another planet. Um, the original title uh, was—I uh, have this here. Um, so, Voyage to Arcturus. Arcturus is, I guess, the star around which this planet is. But he he ends up on this other planet um, alive. Um, there is sort of a a version of his dead love, I guess, from Earth there. Um, but everybody has a third sense organ coming out of their head. <laughs> and it's a sort of uh, cross, the, it's a kind of a planetary romance. It's, you know, very, um, it's like, uh, it's uh, like a princess of Mars, except with uh, LSD. <laughs> The, the science fiction encyclopedia uh, uh-huh. compares it to other fantastic voyages. Yes, it, it is a fantastic voyage. Um, it is astral projection, is you know the same way that uh, John Carter gets to Mars. It's astral projection, right? It's not a rocket ship. Um, he doesn't bodily go there, um, and yet he has a body when he gets there. And um, 
we meet a bunch of people and they have various relationships um, that are kind of like the party that he was at right before he went uh, from the and climbed the tower and jumped off in uh, kind of a suicidal action. So it's it's metaphysical is, I guess, the way of putting it. Um, and I think this is basically the only thing Lindsay ever wrote. He's like a Scottish uh, dude. Um, but uh, powerful. And the audiobook is available in the feed, as is the read-along. So if you if you dig this, and I think, Will, it's totally your, your cup of tea. I'm surprised yeah, you a, haven't come across it a, earlier. There's a Valentine Adult Fantasy Edition, yeah. right? Yeah. And in fact, that I scanned it and I think I put it up. So, um, oh wow! Well, yeah. how about that? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I'm I'm down for more Stoker in the future because uh, he's he's got skills. I I like what he's he's uh, laying down. He's got like uh, he's an idea guy. He's just uh, his ideas are quite subtle. Um, they're not like there's a big spaceship coming to destroy the Earth. It's more like, well, there's this lady. <laughs> She's got a plan. We're not going to tell you what the plan is, but you'll figure it out. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF audio. I had one on Wednesday crash, uh, but it recorded everything. It just wouldn't stop recording. I had to manually slam it. So um, then when you went to your kitchen and said, tea Earl Grey hot, it just kept on going. That's right. Um, <laughs> I'm really glad to see you got your ducks in a row. Yeah. They're not really. I was just I was just wishing. Oh well. Um I was thinking I need to do a follow up meme, uh a bunch of ducks fighting, and then I call I finally got my ducks in a row. Oh nice <laughs> <laughs> You must. So, um uh, this is related, I think, to the what was that bird called that I sent you? By uh I didn't send Will because oh, the- He's not a he's yeah. not a girl. <laughs> what were they called? I have to look again. Uh, Greebs with the spot. Greeblets, Greebs and Greeblets. That's so cute. <laughs> They're super cute. I'll send it to Will now. While we wait for Trish. Um. Yeah, so I, I was thinking like the seven fingers. <laughs> okay, hang on. This is not loading properly. Okay. So, um, we were reading about this in one of the classic comics and, uh, oh shit. Why is it not working? Oh my God. There it is. Okay. The Grieve family's day out. How do I, uh, group chat, I guess. And we'll try Trish again. Um, they said in the comic that they, they go under the wing and they showed it under the wing, but not this way. Apparently, it's a it's a waterfowl thing. Great. And um, I, I 
did you ever did you see the video with them um the grebes uh walking on the land mm. no no um they uh their legs are the way it's described is wrong, but basically it looks like their legs are at the very back of their body and rather than under their body. And so they can't really walk very well. Um, makes them really good swimmers. But, oh. <laughs> but the uh, standing up problem is once they stand up, they're like dogs that have to sort of keep running <laughs> forward and they fall over. That's so funny. Yeah. Okay, I'm watching the Grebe now. And the Greeblets. <laughs> And the baby greeds. Yeah, those are the greeblets. I know. Like I piglets. Know. I like their little beaks. Yeah, very nice, right? Yeah, I'd like to meet... Oh, dear. I see the <laughs> greeblet now. Okay. That's that's very magical. <laughs> Is that how the boats got inspired? Like, that's how they decided to make, uh, like, like bird-shaped boats? Because they were like, oh, like, birds do this already? I don't know. Hansel and Gretel, uh, don't they have a swan? Do they? Yeah, at the end of Hansel and Gretel, they both get on the bird's back. And I mean, maybe it's just a natural human fantasy to want to ride birds. But clearly. Obviously. Who doesn't? Oh my god, this is just the most, uh, wow, I, um... You uh, can feel the estrogen levels rising, rise. Yeah, like, I, I like, I, like, want to cry, um... My mom does like, this all day, Tw- tweets dog pictures. Yeah. <laughs> How are the puppies? Apparently they're they're uh, all alive and growing, but uh, I'm getting this third hand. So the, the puppies haven't told you themselves that they're alive. They have not. <laughs> they never call. They, they never tweet. Transferred over to you then. Uh, oh, say again. They haven't transferred over to you telepathically. No, no. It's all it's all uh, all word of mouth. <laughs> all right. And I did, I think I sent you, yeah, I also sent you the deer. I had to take that very quickly because I was driving. I can't believe you did that. Oh, it was a Swanee back ride. That was great. I'm a great tweeter. <laughs> Instead of piggy back ride, Swanee back ride. Okay, what else? Um, we're still waiting on Trish. Let's see if she's on Twitter asking where we are. It's eleven eleven on my computer. Make a wish. Um, Don't tell me it, or it won't come true. Uh, okay. Oh, jeez. I swear I'm forgetting something. Uh, I've got um, I've got the two versions of the ending of this novel i know you guys probably can you read the the on the podcast the original ending i'm trying to sort of do that right now there's a website called text compare yeah um yeah it's apparently it's on his website.org but i I could i was like i can't i don't have time to go through this yeah so i i I use this website called text compare um And it shows oh, yeah, the differences they're... between, but the problem is, is the differences are pretty minimal. Um, Can't you just scroll right point. down to the last page? Uh, well, it's apparently the last chapter. Whole chapter? Oh, it's the whole chapter's different. Well, no, not the whole chapter. Some of the last chapter. So mm-hmm. it says the striking. So line four sixty-two in one version is 
exactly as, uh, the same in both, but it's line 466. But I think that's all formatting, like, like, um, paragraphs and there's like a few typos and stuff. But then, um, all at once, so line 564 is the same as line 549. And so everything that's, bl- that's blue, well, okay, I'll find the other one as well. Huh. Maybe that's a good idea. Mm. Why is Trish not uh, getting on board? She's suffering, I, I just... she's suffering from the same curse? Yeah, or maybe she like like didn't know she was signed up or like forgot or pretty sure she knows. She's oh, she's, okay. she's more on the ball on about this stuff than I am, I think. Um speaking of which, um I I'll mention it now. Um next Saturday is uh evening show. Um Robert E. Howard, I think I might have mentioned this before. It was a semi last minute edition, I think. Yeah, so Hawks of the Outremer. Uh Connor, Paul, Will, Evan, Trish. I don't know if Paul will be there. Um, Mice is not a super Robert E. Howard, uh, but uh, it's, what do you call that? You, you might need to, uh, mm-hmm. um, I've got like a, a few things in the air next week, so mm-hmm. you might need to mark me as a maybe, but uh, go ahead and send me the audio. Okay. It's actually on YouTube, but I will get an odd... Um, Oh, just send me a link then. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What's up? Why is she not ready? It's very unlike her. Oh. Sorry, I'm here. I'm just there a she little is. late getting set up. Okay. We thought you succumbed to the curse, too. <laughs> not exactly, no. I've been on furlough this week. and furlough. not having to get in the morning as uh-huh. a mandatory unpaid vacation. Oh. Um, and so not having to get up in the morning has uh, kind of screwed up my sleep schedule. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is this your regular mic? Are you uh, already there? You're sounding a little different. Yeah, than... I, I mean, no, no, I'm not. I'm talking to you on my phone. Uh-huh. Okay, well, we'll give you a minute to set up. Um let me uh, see if I can get these text texts. Uh, I need help. Is what I'm saying. I, I just okay. Uh, so here is the O3, and then the 1912. I'll get out. Well, I'm I'm just at the very end of the mm-hmm. O3. It's definitely different. It's tries. Well, I knew that because I read it. I read that it was gonna be. Mm-hmm. I, uh, but holy moly! Yeah. So here's the 12. You know what? I'll just send the whole page here and then you guys can figure it out on your own. Okay, so um, copy Which link. Which version was the uh, audio book that uh, you saw? I'm pretty sure it's the 1912. It's the later one, yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, this website I'm using is called Text Compare. Text dash compare. Um, and it's shows the two what I did is put the last two chapters in um and then so the length is similar um and the text is very similar up to a point and then I'm just trying to find that point 
So line 529 is the same as line 541. There seems to be a return to the cavern. So this is the 1903. Let's see. Chapter 20 versus chapter 20, uh, 19. Okay. Which one have I got on the left and which one have I got on the right? Chapter 20 is from the 1903. Okay. So that's the original on the left. Hmm. We laid her in the sarcophagus and placed the severed hand in its true position on her breast. Under it was laid the jewel of seven stars, which Mr. Trelawney had placed for this from the safe. It seemed to flash and blaze as he put it in its place. The glare of the electric lights shone cold on the great sarcophagus, fixed ready with the final experiment, the great experiment. Consequently, on the researches during the lifetime of these two travel scholars. I don't think that's in our version, right? No, I don't remember that. All right, so maybe that's a good Not spot. Not too far off, though. No, no. Uh, but the ending, the very, very ending is is radically different, right? Uh, yeah, it, it looks like it gets radically different when he wants to turn on the lights. Mm, maybe that's a good... Okay. That's As, right, that's right, yeah. yeah. All right, so this is line 663. As there was no reply, I turned the tap. To my horror, there was no response. Something had gone wrong with the electric light. I moved, intending to run up the staircase. So maybe I'll just read from there. That's That's where I look. And that's all different. All right. Yeah. All right. That sounds good. Now, apparently, there's also a deleted chapter. Really? <laughs> yeah. So this is, uh, on the way I'm comparing it, it's chapter 20 um, in the 1903 and chapter 19 in the 1912. So chapter 20 is different in the the 19... Twelve, but it's called chapter nineteen. It's it, so that's been changed, and then all of chapter twenty in the nineteen twelve. Oh, uh, all of chapter nineteen from nineteen oh three has been deleted, I believe. So oh. let's have a look at that. Nineteen oh three, go down to nineteen twelve. Okay, chapter control F chapter. Shit. Okay. Spell chapter wrong. Going down, 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 down. All right. Chapter 19, The Lessons of Ka. Okay, so we lose uh, all the titles of chapters too, don't we? I don't they remember at least any didn't... title chapters. It's not in the audio, right? Yeah, they at least aren't in the audio. Book. Yeah, I believe they've been okay. removed. I didn't see them in the in because I, I read the Gutenberg and I don't remember any there either. Yeah, you're reading the 1912 then probably. They're much yeah. more. It's much more ubiquitous. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so end of the previous the normal chapter says, "Have no special fear for me, Malcolm. Queen Tara knows and will offer us no harm. I know it. I know it as surely as I am lost in the depth of my own love for you." There was something in her voice so strange to me that I looked quickly into her eyes. They were bright as ever, but veiled to my, to my seeing the inward thought behind them as are the eyes of a caged lion. Then the two of the two other men came in and the subject changed. All right. So this next chapter is called The Lessons of Ka, of the Ka. The night that night we went to bed early, the next night would be an anxious one. 
and Mr. Trelawney thought we should all be fortified with sleep. Wait, that sounds very similar. All right. I'm going to go to the Wikipedia entry because I don't know what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Wikipedia, Jewel of Seven Stars. Are you back, Trish? She's not back. Doesn't seem so. Okay. Uh, I I even put it in the audiobook. I, I put the the in the middle. It's the Jewel of Seven Stars, but it's is in the audiobook I labeled it the jewel of the seven stars. There's another oh. curse. <laughs> Seriously, I like doing it over and over again. A big problem. Alright, so 1912 edition. When the no- novel was re-released in 1912, the speculative chapter 16, okay, there we go. Powers old and new had been removed. So that we can check out. Uh chapter 16. Chapter, what's XVI? No, XVI. Yeah, I got it right. Chapter XVI. Powers old and new. How long is this one? Not that long. All right. Uh, Powers old and new. The time wore away, wondrous slowly in some ways, wonderfully quickly in others. Today, in the newfound joyous, in the newfound joyous certainty of return of my love, I should have linked to Sorry, I should have liked to have had Margaret all to myself, but this was not, this day was not for love or lovemaking. The shadow of fear expectation, oh my god, the shadow of fearful expectation was over it. The more I thought over the coming experiment, the more strange it all seemed, and the more foolish we, we who were deliberately entering upon it. It was all so stupendous, so mysterious, so unnecessary. The issues were so vast, the danger so strange, so unknown. Even if it should be successful, what new difficulties would it not raise? Uh, that's not a question. That's a statement. Uh, what changes might happen? Did men know that the portals of the house of death were not, in very truth, eternally fixed? And that the death could come forth again? Again, these are all not questions or statements. Could we realize that it was for us, modern mortals, to be arrayed against the gods of old, with their mysterious powers gotten from natural forces or begotten of them when the world was young, when land and water were forming themselves for our, out of the primeval slime, when their very air was purifying itself from elemental dross? Wow. When the dragons of the prime... And that's quotation marks around that. Dragons of the Prime were changing their forms and their powers, made only to combat with geological forces, to grow in accord with the new vegetable life which was springing up around them. When animals, when every man himself and man's advance were gross as natural as the planetary movements, gross as natural as the planet. What? Wow. That's a repeated line. Okay. And man's advance were gross as natural as the planetary movements. Gross as natural as the planetary movements. This is just badly typed in, I think. Or the shining of the stars. I, A-Y, exclamation point. And further back still, when as yet the spirit which moved on the face of the waters had not spoken the words commanding it to come into existence of light and life which flowed, uh, which flowed it. Uh, 
followed it. Oh my God, I can't read and this typing is bad. Okay, light and life are capitalized. Nay, even beyond this was a still more overwhelming conjecture. The whole possibility of the great experiment, capital G, capital E, to which we were now pledged was based on the reality of the existence of the old forces, capital O, capital F, which seemed to be coming in contact with the new civilization, capital N, capital C, that there were and are, su are such cosmic forces we cannot doubt, and that the intelligence, capital I, which is behind them was and is. Were the primeval elements controlled at any time by other than the final cause, capital F, capital C, which Christendom, capital C, holds as its very essence? Finally, a question mark. <laughs> if there were truth at all in the belief of ancient Egypt, then the gods had real existence, real power, real force. Godhead is not a quality subject to the ills of mortals. As in its essence, it is creative and recreative. It cannot die. Any belief to the contrary would be antagonistic to reason, for it would hold that part, a part is greater than the whole. If then the old gods helped their, held their forces wherein was the supremacy of the new. Of course, if the old gods had lost their power, or if they never had any, the experiment could not succeed. But if it should indeed succeed, or if there were a possibility of success, then we should be face to face with an inference so overwhelming that one hardly dared to follow it to its conclusion. This would be that the struggle between life and death would no longer be a matter of earth, earthy. That war of supra-elemental forces would be moved from the tangible world of facts to the mid-region, capital M, capital R, where it might be, which is home to the gods, home of the gods. Did such a region exist? Was it that Milton, was it that Milton saw with his blind eyes and the rays of poetic light falling between him and heaven? Whence came the stupendous vision of the evangelist, which had for, has for 18 centuries held spellbound the intelligence of Christendom? Was there room in the universe, capital U, for opposing gods, or if such were there, if such there were, would the strong allow manifestations of the power on the part of the opposing force, which would tend to the weakening of his own teaching and designs? Surely, surely, if this supposition were correct, there would be some strange and awful development, something unexpected and unpredictable before the end shall be allowed to come. That's pretty fun. That That's pretty cool. That sheds a whole new light on this it, It's not finished. This, this I, I've read about quarter of this chapter mm -hmm. um did we get trish back yes we did but she's muted all right the subject was too vast and under the present i'm sorry i'm back <laughs> okay you're you're sounding good too uh the subject was too vast and under the present conditions too full of strange surmises i dared not follow it i set myself to wait in patience till the time should come margaret remained divinely calm i think i envied her blah 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 Oh, wait, uh, this looks good. Um, and in the explanation, I could see the way in which he was turning it over in his mind, all the possible causes, all the possible results. Once in the midst of the most learned dissertation of growth of Egyptian astrology, he broke out on a different subject, or rather a branch or corollary of the same. This is the part that I got excited about. Quote, 
I do not see why starlight might have some subtle quality of its own. We know that other lights have special forces. The Rontgen ray, that's x-rays, right? Uh, Rontgen ray is not the only discovery to be made in the world of light. Sunlight has its own forces that, that are not given to other lights. It warms wine. It quickens fungoid growth. The men are often moonstruck. What? Men are often moonstruck? What? <laughs> okay. What? It's true, though, right? Like, like, people do get moonstruck. Like, uh, um, like Cher? Well, uh, maybe. Uh, I'm just thinking, so uh, at my business, it, there's always an uptick uh, five days before the full moon of just uh, people who are losing their minds a little bit. Like, people uh, are, like, a little bit more chaotic. It's just there's more of those people. I don't you know, think that it's like moonlight doing that, but uh, moonstruck is a thing, definitely. That's cool. You can mark your calendar on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's uncanny. That's crazy. All right. Um. Uh. Oh wait, microscopy. I like microscopy. But, but I love the way this whole chapter. Like I, I, I'm. It really changes the text in in a in a, in a big way. To me. Maybe we should put this at the end. What do you think? Put a, a yes. we'll read it at the end. Let's get started. See how much Trish Trish time we get, how much Mesa time we get, how much Will time we get. I know Will has a has a GF who is obviously quite demanding. He he has to petition for movies and stuff. <laughs> well, um, uh, it's like it, it's more like this. I uh, live in a cooperative environment. There right? you go. So, uh, you know, we, uh, we like to watch, uh, TV and movies together. So, like, yeah. there's some things that I'll just, like, never watch, and there's some things she'll just never watch. So, um, right. and then. And you uh, compromise like, on reality television, it sounds like. Yeah, that's our favorite thing. Okay. I don't get it. Um, let's, mm. let's begin, shall we? Oh, uh, Jesse, do you mind if I mention Ace when I say oh, my Of name? course not. Of course not. Right. But just remember, this is going to be out in uh, twenty-two weeks or something like that. Yeah, I know. But we're going to keep. We're going to try and keep going. Well, so. we can we can put it in the podcast feed before that. But uh. no, 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 no. <laughs> okay, whatever. No, no. What I mean is, we can actually take your show and put it in the podcast feed if you'd like. Oh, oh, okay. It's up to yeah, you. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, so uh, since there's no Paul, we have to find the second most person, and I think that would be Misa. Wow, isn't that wow. amazing? No Misa's Paul. second place. <laughs> Moving up, you got a promotion. Well, it's, the circumstances are too terrible, so I'm. I'm well, not gonna... it's only temporary. Don't worry. It's only temporary. <laughs> okay, so uh, we got uh, Jesse, Misa, and then I think it's Will still, and then Trish. How many have you been on, Will? Like five or six, right? Will. Oh, wait. I, I think more than that. I think yeah. Will's been on a lot. Yeah. I think Trish has only been on like four or five. I think it's like six, but really? I don't care. I'll go last. Well, no, I, I, it's supposed to make sense. So I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm pretty sure we've had more Wills because he's, he, he's uh, down for a lot more um, stuff. Just pretty sure about That's that. Fine. But you, you, you started at a similar time. Um, in the podcast history. Let's go. Um, I got my recording going. Uh, Will said he started one. Trish, have you got one to record? Yes. Excellente. 
All right, let me see if I, oh, I got it out. All right, here we go. Oh, and I'm going to, one moment, I have to get my notes out. I had to make notes. It was sad. Oh, Jesse, your brain is breaking. It's the mummy curse. <laughs> it definitely is. Um, oh, God, my computer. Jesse's having to use this ancient technology of writing to, like, uh, track <laughs> his thought. Um, it's like the mummy is, like, trying to force him to yeah. use That's ancient funny. techniques. All right. Jesse's is... scribing. Bram. <laughs> I'm looking. Uh, well, there it is. Okay. Um, uh, and everybody get a chance to read my student story? Yes. I'd read that before, hadn't I? Yeah, um, probably. We did a lot of uh, changes to the names to make them more resonant. Than, oh, okay. So, like, well, there's a character named Arthur now instead of Zach. And uh, a Carter. Um, and okay, that's, that was good. Was yeah, that your suggestion? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, like, saying, you know, pick up from other stuff, and we go through a whole bunch of... A whole bunch of other stuff, and then uh, Maggie was his idea, um, which was cool because that's related to this book. <laughs> did he read this? Uh, we read we read a lot of Wikipedia entries, so okay. no, he did not read the, this novel. Um, uh, I just I just finished it a few minutes ago myself. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, somebody's opening a cassette tape. On, it sounds like what? What's that? What were you making notes on? Uh, just an e-text. Uh, oh, sorry. Um, uh, on the movies. Oh, the movie. Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay. All right. Show. I've got some. I've got some tabs for uh, uh, related works. Excellent. Okay. Excellent. Oh, did you do your um your extra bonus homework just for you? Um, I did the Cliff Notes version of it. Right. Uh, right. but I I do have something to report. All right. Good. Good news. All right. Here we go.